Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. As always, you're joined here by your boy, Heavy Days, here from the Upside Down Library. And as usual, we want to give a massive shout out to our incredible sponsors who help make the show happen. Seeds here now, your number one seed bank in the industry. A guarantee on satisfaction, not just germination, with all the hottest breeders and the latest drops. Why would you go anywhere else? If you finish a grow and you're not satisfied with the end product, hit them up. They'll make it right. They only stock the highest quality breeders. And I know they got some fire packs from your boy, Heavy Days there. Check them out before they're gone, guys. Massive shout out to Seeds here now, your number one stop for all your genetic needs. But in order to get your garden pumping on all cylinders and producing the best crop to date, you got to make sure your room's dialed in. To do that, check out our friends at Pulse Sensors number one sensors and integrated hubs in the game measuring all of the variables ppd vpd temperature humidity dew point all the extra variables you don't consciously track to help ensure your next crop is the best to date whether you're running a single tent a single room or a multi-state operation pulse sensors are the number one in the game and they've just recently released the pulse hub a central unit to integrate all of their monitors to make sure that your rooms are the best they can possibly be Massive thank you to Pulse Sensors. We appreciate you so much. Likewise, you've got to keep your garden pest and pathogen free. And to do that, you've got to check out our friends at Copit. These guys are the world leaders in sustainable biocontrol solutions for pests and disease. If you're battling spider mites, check out their new Spidex Vital Plus sachets. These are new Persimilis breeding sachets that release predator mites into your crop consistently over a period of several weeks, providing you with sustained spider mite control. Now you don't have to spread carrier material through your garden just to introduce predator mites. Just hang the sachets on your crop, let the Persimilis walk out and do the work for you. Trust me guys, you don't want to have to go up against a spider mite infestation without Spidex Vital Plus. These are truly the best predators in the game. I promise once you use it, you'll see the quality. You'll never go back. Massive shout out to Copet. Likewise, you got to check out our friends at Organics Alive. If you're growing organic and want to use high quality powdered organic fertilizers, you simply cannot go past Organics Alive. These guys truly walk the walk and talk the talk. They have been picking up cups left, right and center with growers all around the country sweeping categories using their products. That is the ultimate testament, in my opinion, if home growers are winning competitions using their products. The proof is in the pudding, guys. No matter what stage of the plant cycle you're at, veg, transition, flower, in need of micronutrients or a very specific sort of boost in late flower, they've got it. You've got to check out Organics Alive, guys. Truly one of the best in the industry. We're super stoked to be working with them because we know how amazing their products are. Used in heaps of breeder gardens that we have on the show. Again, check them out. Organics Alive. Massive thank you. Massive shout out for supporting the show. Finally, a massive shout out to the entire crew at Dynavap. These guys make some of the best vaporizers on the game. I'm really passionate about this one because they help me to get off combustion and smoking bongs. If you have any concerns about your respiratory health, or heck, if you just want to try a different mode of ingestion, maybe try to get a better flavor hit, you've got to check out the Dynavat. These guys' units are cheap, they're incredibly well designed, and most importantly, they're very customizable. You can take your vape game to the next level, getting insane terps, all while retaining the potency you'd expect of a combustion 
smoking or a bong. Truly, I was smoking bongs for over 10 years. I'm now vape only. Massive shout out to Dynabap. They're one of the best in the industry and we owe them a massive thank you. Shout out again, Dynabap. Massive thanks for supporting the show. Finally, a quick little mention to our Patreon gang, truly the lifeblood of the show. If you want to get early access to episodes, unheard and unreleased interviews, as well as going in the running to get amazing genetics each month and fortnight, come on, check out the Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast. We do live smoke with heavy sessions every fortnight and give away heaps of swag every month. Come check it out. We love you, the Patreon gang. Thank you so much. We are so appreciative. Here we are, guys, part two of the epic interview of Marty of TK Origins. Florida native, creator of TK, OG, here to talk some history, some plans for the future, so much more. Let's get into it. Beautiful stuff. And I wanted to ask you, there's there's weirdly like a lot of reports online and I've never really known much about it. People used to say that the white was very similar to the TK and like sometimes the name, like the white used to be called triangle or something like that. Do you, do you know anything about that at all? Yeah, actually, um, when I did, I was talking to the Swamp Boys around 2017 while I was living down there in Central America and we had some conversations for a while. We, we had some mutual friends and once we started talking, we started talking about who we knew back in Florida together. And um, I was talking to Crone and he told me the story that why it came to him as a plant called the triangle. And uh, he was definitely interested in here, interested in hearing the story about the, the uh, Emerald triangle and any sort of relation. And actually the white, I've only seen it one time, but it was at my friend Craig's house. And that was the closest turfs that I've come across since back in the day with the animal triangle. But I don't think it's the same plant um, because I took an out home and it dried out. I dried it out a little bit more and it kind of lost its turfs and it was a little bit more bland tasting than I remember. Definitely didn't have that sweet floral thing going on that the animal did. But something about it when it came out of the freezer had those exact like memorable terps from back in the day and that was the closest thing i've seen to it so i told chrome that whole story and you know i can't it's only speculation because i don't really know for sure but it could be related it could be a seed of the emerald triangle or something related to it somehow yeah okay yeah i've I've just never grown the white personally i've only seen it in flower form sure sure i actually haven't tried the white myself so i have to try some i definitely want to say i tried a, a really nice pure loco so definitely that was a good one from our archive uh I, w- I wanted to ask you you know because um in terms of the whole storyline in in recent episodes we'd had uh, not so dog and inspector on the show and they both commented that they felt like they'd seen some discrepancies within the storyline and posts from maybe like IC Mag over the years and on different sources. They sort of felt like there had just been inconsistencies between the dates and the ages. I guess the question is like, you know, has there ever been different, you know, has your memory changed over time? You're like, oh, you know, I think I was a different age or, you know, where do you think this comes from, this view? That could be from the second time I went to Amsterdam um, which I went to the cannabis cup there, uh, high times cannabis cup. At first I thought for some reason that I went there for that trip in 91 or 92. And I'm pretty sure I might've mentioned that to a few people here and there, but come 
to find out later on after talking with Adam Dunn about a few things that it had to be later because he, we had shopped at this place called the gray area coffee shop that trip. And we were, we bought some good flour from there and they told us where we could find some seeds and of the stuff we bought there, like bubble gum and AK 47. And there was this place called the CIA, which Adam, I guess owned, or he was partners with at the time. And all it was was like this little black door up this like abandoned looking building and it had a word, the three letter word CIA on it. So it was like sketchy even walking in the door, but we were given uh, directions by this guy at the gray house or the gray area coffee shop to go there. So I know I had shopped at um, the CIA and I maybe had met Adam. He looked familiar to me after all that and seen him on the podcast years later. So the discrepancy might've been where I thought it was 91-92 when I went on that trip, but it was actually 1993 because we basically think there was a year he opened that place. And I remember there was this huge hemp plant growing in the middle. Like you'd walk up these, you walk in the door and you'd go up the straight staircase that would go up to like a lounge and there's a bunch of people hanging out smoking. And there was like a desk where they were selling seeds there, I think. And there might've been like a little DJ booth set up. And in the middle of the room, there was like this huge pot with this giant hemp plant. And it looked like a bamboo trunk. It was like huge. Nothing, never, never seen anything like it before. And it was like probably 15 foot tall, growing to like a sunlight up the top of the building. So when I ran that story by Adam, he told me it had to be 1993 because that's when he had that going on. So, you know, thinking back to when I first came out, um, basically with my story, actually it came out, I started going on, uh, excuse me, I started going online while I was stuck on house arrest and probation before I moved down to Central America and long before I created Origins. And I started searching Triangle Kush and I found some stories here and there from people talking shit about how it came to Florida from some military guys like from overseas and brought seeds back. Other stories are talking about how it was named after the three cities in Florida, meaning Jacksonville, Tampa and Miami, which I laughed at all those stories. And I might have chimed in a couple of times saying this is all bullshit or whatever it was. And I got people telling me, you know what you're talking about. So I just wasn't very long. I was on there at all. Um, whatever story I told back then, I don't know. I was, I was drinking at the time. <laughs> I wasn't smoking. I was pissed off at the world. I was pissed off at the government. Um, I was looking forward to getting off all that stuff so I could move on and start growing again. And, and at that point, my, my wife and I, her fiance and I had plans on moving down to, uh, Latin America where I had already built a house. Um, so I was just wanting to be done with everything. And if I was on any sort of IC mag or whatever that was back then in those days, and it was just to like try and correct people that were spreading rumors that were false about names and how I got named and where it came from and stuff. So that was my, that was my time on there. As far as not so dog goes, me and him had conversations when I first created origins and those guys even invited me to their Emerald cup parties that I went to a couple of years in a row with Josh. And it seemed to me like right after the pandemic, uh, I went to the last Emerald Cup before the pandemic and for the elections and came back from that trip. It was like wet and cold and gloomy. And I came back sick as can be probably had COVID who knows. <laughs> so I get back to Central America and, uh, basically after that, this guy stopped following me for whatever reason. I, I blame it on something that might've, I might've done like on one of my posts that's kind of like political, I guess, thinking back to it and I'll never do it again, but this was during the election. It was during like the riots that were happening everywhere. There was chaos. There was lockdowns and then COVID and <clears throat> where we lived, it got really strict and they had us on curfew every night. There was driving restrictions and the beaches were closed and it was like really hectic. Um, and around that time, 
for whatever reason, those guys just stopped talking to me. Um, I don't know if it's because I made a political post that was like against this administration that had just gotten voted in or whatever it was. Not like I was on either side because I don't think either sides are good. They're all evil, both political parties. And like I'm directly in the middle because they both have their both. They both have their good things and bad things, but I'm definitely on, not on either side. <laughs> so for whatever reason, I made some stupid post about anti-Hillary and anti-Biden and anti-China. And it was just kind of like a meme, I guess, at the time. And immediately I got all kinds of like shit for it. I got people DMing me, telling me I'm a scumbag Trumper. I had people DMing me, telling me to fuck off and unfollow me and never want to talk to me again type thing. And that seemed to be around the same time that I like lost those guys as far as like followers go, as far as like Matt Riot and Not So Dog and some of those other guys. So I don't know if they're on me over that or what it was, but you know, as far as the dates go and my age, for sure I was 17 on my first trip and that was 1989. And then the second trip, I was a little lost on it first, but that was definitely 1993. And at that Cannabis Cup, anyone that was there um, would remember there was, as you walked in the doorway, there was these two big plants growing that were live flowering plants. And I remember specifically they were Durban poison because a friend of mine that I went there with like snuck, like walked up and grabbed a little nugget off of one and put it in his pocket thinking it was going to dry out on that trip. <laughs> we get to actually try some Durban poison. But uh, as anyone knows in Amsterdam in uh, November, which is when the, the cannabis cup was back then, it's so wet and rainy out that like nothing will dry. <laughs> you have to have a dehumidifier to get anything dry there. So yeah, I don't know if those guys... Could be the reason why they're talking shit. Um, I've had plenty of conversations with him and, and I actually found my conversation with him at some point. And basically in the conversation, I told him straight up, we were popping seeds from the seed bank and from Sensi Seeds. Um, you know, I never, I might not have told him I went there twice or whatever it was because the second trip wasn't really related to the OG triangle story. Or I don't know, that might've been the reason why I didn't say I went there twice or but I definitely went there twice. Um, the second time was more for fun and I went to chill and relax and I had my own money that trip and uh, went for almost two weeks with some friends and uh, had a good time. And that trip we brought back, like I said, the bubble gum, AK-47. Um, at that point in time, the seed bank was closed, I guess because Sensi Seed, he got in trouble, everyone knows about. And then Sensi Seeds had bought them out and they were still working out of the castle but at the time they opened up a new store and like real close to where we were staying, like walking distance across from like the cannabis museum or hemp museum, I want to say. So that's where we shot um, some sensi seed genetics that trip. Um, and we also, like I said, we brought stuff from the CIA, from Adam Dunn's um, crew. And I think we even stumbled across some seeds that like a little like random head shop somewhere that was selling mushrooms and they had a bunch of like, they had like purple star and a few different random things that we grabbed out of there too. See was <laughs> That's great to hear the the storyline and you know I can um I can appreciate the response for sure. I mean their, their parties that they had at the Emerald Cup were, were super sick. And I mean it was it was Matt Riot's parties at the time, <clears throat> along with a couple of his friends and his crew. You know what's funny? I think I was at that one you referenced, the twenty nineteen one. I I'm bummed I didn't bump into you. Well, it was like on a like a vineyard, like a great vineyard or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. The long driveway. So yeah, you didn't see Josh D there that night. Oh, uh, I probably did, but I was pretty stoned. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was with him and, um, and a couple of his crew, and um, I know Fletch from Archive was there that night. And that's when the first time I got to see the Moonbow. 
that he brought like a bunch of jars of and that's too bad we didn't get to meet that night it was a fun party yeah shout out to matt and the can illuminati that party was awesome so yeah good to hear your side of the story for sure let's go back to the storyline so you've sold these um you know these bags that have the seeds in it and that's gone how did that progress? Because you've mentioned a few times you moved to South America. How did you sort of progress to that after, you know, the inception of the TK and OG? All right. So um, I had moved from Jupiter. We skipped a lot. I moved to Jupiter in uh, 94. Like I said, about my first house there. And I stayed there until 1999. Um, the house there, I had gotten, uh, I got chased out of there basically by a lightning bolt. Um, I had a stolen power going on I, I had to actually take a year off from growing because some of the older guys i knew in south florida were having some issues and there was a lot of heat going on so i took a while off and during that time i was making surf videos and i started this uh partnered with this company it was a friend of mine that started this company called crypto clothing um it was around like the late 80s and most of the 90s and it was surf based but like also weed related and it was um him taking his art and putting him on shirts and then i joined in with another friend and so for a couple of years, I kept moms alive somewhere, but I didn't grow any flower. And we tried to run that company while there was a lot of heat in South Florida and I was trying to stay cool. Um, this is when I was in Jupiter. So at that point, um, I started growing again, I think close to 98, 99, I want to say. And randomly one day, I never had stolen power in that house before, but for whatever reason it was, I was broke and I was getting desperate. And I had a friend that knew how to steal power and do the power rig. So we set up my house that way. And the day we were doing it, there was a storm rolling in with lightning and stuff. It was sketchy. So we kind of rushed the job, uh, drilled the holes through the wall and ran the whole thing through the meter and through the, to a panel inside the house that, that he built me. Um, so I don't know if we didn't ground it right because we were rushing that day or whatever, but maybe i don't know like a month into a batch that i had set up in the garage with 10 lights while living there i was on the phone one day this is when we had cord phones still and i'm on the phone with a telemarketer trying to get this lady off the phone and there's a bad storm going on lightning hitting and crashing and thunder and like i tell her like look lady i don't want what you're selling so I hang the phone up and the second i hang the phone on the wall lightning struck the house and basically zapped um half the line coming into the property there's two lines coming in and it zapped one of them so immediately I knew something was up. The house started like dimming and going through kinds of little power surges and I started smelling burning wires. So I had to go unplug everything immediately. And it was a full emergency mode basically. So like the power um, lines where they met from the outside of my house got struck by the lightning out there and melted it completely. So one of the lines coming into the house was still working while the other one wasn't. So I had to take everything off that one leg and basically i was broke at the time and i was just trying to get this batch done and uh i still had a couple weeks to go so i took like 10 lights worth of plants and ran them all into one room under two lights or three lights at the time and trying to finish them off under the melting burning stinky power in the house <laughs> which was super sketchy and fire hazard all the time but i finished it um got that out of there cleaned the whole house up and i had basically the guy came over we undid the power but at this point, I had these huge holes in the wall, and I was sketched out of the power companies you're going to see, and you know they're going to come out and fix it. They're going to have to open my meter. So I waited till like a Friday evening when everyone was like dying to go home from work, and I called the power company and told them my story. That I needed help. The place got struck by lightning, so they sent a crew out. They get up there on the roof, 
like no gloves or nothing. And they just like fixed the shit up like super fast, never opened my mirror and it was done. So I took that as an omen, like the whole lightning thing. And I was like, I already been in that house from 94 and it's been like five years. Um, I was already sketched out from being in South Florida where some of those guys had started getting in trouble. So at that point, I decided to move north another hour to where Craig and that whole crew was basically. And that's basically in Florida. Um, we had the Bahamas that block a lot of the surf from hitting the southern beaches. So, but up there in central Florida, we get a lot more consistent surf because the waves get around the Bahama Bank. So I always went up there surfing my whole life. And it was just a matter of time before I wanted to move up there. And I did. Um, so it was 99 uh, was when I bought my house up there. Um, so 99 till 2011, I was living in Brevard County and I was buying houses. I bought a lot of owner finance when I first moved up there. And then I started growing in another house I rented. And from there, I bought another house and I started doing little fixer uppers. And this is before the economy um, or the real estate market took a crash. This was like early 2000s. And there, this is when they were giving out loans like candy, like here in America. I don't know about there, but I basically got a loan for a $400,000 house, hardly showing any income. There was like no income verification back then. So you could just say how much you made, told the banker, and they sign you, you know, as long as you got the money, they sign you up and you're good to go. So I got this big ass house up there in uh, the north side of the county. It was like a three car garage, huge four bedroom on two acres of property, brand new construction. Um, and that was uh, 2004, it was. And that was the house I would end up getting busted at. But at first, I was there from 2004 till 2011. And that's when they got me. Um, so during that time frame, I was growing the Triangle, um, Choosy Fruit, G13. I had some White Widow, some of those hash plants still around. Uh, Super Skunk hash plant I was talking about earlier. Um, and yeah, it was that house uh, one day that they would come get me at, basically. Um, somebody tipped them off. And this was under the Obama administration where at the time they changed the rules where they can come in your house without a warrant based on saying they, they smelled something outside by the road and they used that to get in my place. <laughs> so yeah, that tied me up for a solid four years, a little longer. Um, and then after that was over with, and I got off house arrest and probation. I actually got off probation a year early, luckily. And uh, we moved down to Latin America at that point. Um, my girlfriend, I've been with for 13 years now. She was from Colombia. And she was all on board and moving down there. She spoke perfect. And she's bilingual, three different languages. And uh, yeah, as soon as we got off, I got off probation. I got my um, passport renewed through the uh, website versus waiting for the courts to give it back to me. And within a couple of weeks, I went down there and started prepping for us to move down there, basically. Ah, and what was life like down there? Well, it was awesome at first. Um, and it was awesome in the end, too. But there was a point somewhere in that first year where we had a home invasion. Um, and at this point, we had given up everything in Florida. I lost everything I had to foreclosures. Like We sold everything we had in garage sales. And we pretty much gave up our life in Florida and moved down there. Um, and I had two places down there at the time and we moved from one, we lived in one for six months and I was growing there and everything was fine. And then we moved to the bigger place, which was older and it wasn't really up to date. It needed new windows. It needed like new security and whatever. So within a couple months of living in that big house, 
they were like compounds. They had like walls around them. The one did. And the next door, there was four houses with some friends of mine. And we all built a project together. And I had one of those places next door. So we went from the smaller house to the big house, me and my girlfriend at the time. And, uh, I don't know, within a few months of living there, one late night, uh, I hear the dogs barking outside and we're going to bed like midnight. I look out the front door or the front window and I see a little blue flashing light at our driveway at our gate look like a cop light. And I wasn't growing in the house we were living in, but there was something going on next door that I was worried about. And I had weed in the house. And, um, I think we had a separated garage that had some equipment maybe some trim in it. So I was a little nervous when I see the blue light out there. And next thing you know, in the headlights, I see all these bodies running towards us towards the house. And I screamed at my girlfriend, like, I think the cops are here. I think the cops are here. And just like that, they started smashing the front door. A couple of them went around the back. They pepper sprayed one of the dolls we had on the property to get by them. Um, they got in the sliding glass door and grabbed me, put me in cuffs, um, basically covered my face and put me on the ground. They grabbed my chick who was in the other room. And they kind of like had to separate it at first. And I thought we were basically getting raided because they were all wearing police uniforms. Um, they all had guns. They all had masks on. They were wearing like the reflector uniform, like bulletproof vest looking uniforms. So they all looked official. So that was scary shit. And, uh, you know, we're in a third world country thinking we're getting busted. Um, so at some point I started peeking around and I seen they had my girlfriend tied up in like speaker wire, not handcuffs. And immediately that looked fishy to me. And I was like, what the fuck's going on? And then I, I looked around a little more and they're they kicking me and like telling me not to look. But they're like stealing shit out of the house. Um, they're asking me for money and, and and weed or where the weed was and where the money was in Spanish. And my girlfriend's translating me like, look, they're going to fucking kill us if you don't give them something. Which, you know, they picked the worst possible time to come because we had like $300 cash. And I had maybe a couple ounces of weed. Uh, the garage, I said, has some like has some these, these old Mars Hydro LEDs that weighed like 100 pounds each. It felt like they took those. They took the bag of trim that was out in the garage. They cut open our couch looking for money. Like They're adamant to find something, but they couldn't. Um, so at some point, we had the, we had four Rottweilers at the time. And that buddy of mine that was living there for years before we moved there started collecting these dogs and bringing them down there and lived there with four huge Rotties. So we had one on our property that was old. And three were next door where the other houses were, and they were all younger and acting super mean and barking at the walls when the guy's trying to get over there. So they had my girlfriend, they're asking her to like let them over. And they asked me to let them over. And I was acting like I didn't know any Spanish, which I kind of didn't at the time. Um, and basically we both said the same story in different rooms. Like they're not our dogs, they're super mean. I wouldn't trust them. And I don't I can't get over there myself. This basically the story we told them. So they kept taking stuff from the house. I had like a, I think I had a brand new mini split unit AC and a box that they took. That was like the most valuable thing they found. Um, and at some point in time, it just got silent. Like they all left. I think they heard some, some noise on this, on their police scanners that something was going on, or maybe somebody had heard something or whatever. So they all left in a hurry and it just became like super quiet and eerie. There's no sound of dogs or noises going on anymore. And like, I got the handcuffs in front of me and I went and untied her and we went for help. I uh, went next door and they never got next door. Luckily, thanks to those dogs. Um, I went and grabbed my friend who never heard a thing because the next door we had bullet bulletproof glass and the place is really more modern and newer and real efficient. 
So he never heard a thing going on at the house. So I went over there and he cut the cuffs off me with a pair of ball cutters. And basically that was just like a full nightmare. Um, so I had to make the decision that if we were going to stay down there or go back to Florida, what were we going to do? Because we, like I said, we'd given up everything at that point in Florida and living down there was, it was beautiful, you know, but just this shit happened. But like I said, it, I felt like because they didn't get anything and they didn't find anything or see anything going on that we were kind of in the clear, I felt like a bit. So I decided to make the call to stay down there and we went ahead and like fixed up the house and I got new windows and new bars on the doors and cameras and I got a couple of guns and we had another dog or two to our pack and um, we made the call to stay. I wasn't growing there anymore, obviously after that, but um we made the decision to stay there and you know after a while things started to like dust started to settle and it was going about normal again to this day if a bark a, a barking dog is outside at night my fiance she jumps up in her sleep and freaks out she's got ptsd badly from that but other than that um you know we were luckily we made it through safe I, mean, I actually had a gun in my head and they're doing a countdown multiple times talking about if you don't give us the weed and the drugs or the drugs and the money were basically going to kill you. And I just didn't know what was going on. I was playing stupid and somehow we made it through that night. That's incredible. I mean, you know, I can totally understand why your girlfriend would be so traumatized. That sounds very intense to say the least. And yeah, staying down there, bold move. How did, how did that play out? Were you, were you growing at a different place? Cause you said you weren't growing there. Were you growing somewhere else and selling the weed locally? Well, I had a little house next door that I was growing in and that's where they were trying to get to. But like I said, the Rottweilers kept them out. Um, and we were selling the weed to uh, Americans that lived down there and people that would come and go traveling. I had a friend that had a restaurant there that he would help out. Um, we had a good amount of friends that lived there for years too. That would, you know, it, it moved pretty good. And actually the prices stayed nice and high there for years too. Until later on, somebody from California started shipping containers of weed down there and brought prices down from like 4000 a pound to like 2000 overnight. <laughs> so there was that. But actually now it's legal down there in the, in the country we were in. Um, I think it's at least medical and it's getting ready to go recreational soon, I want to say. So things have changed. When we were there, if you would have gotten caught, you know, you're looking at some third world jail and prison time and definitely way sketchier than doing time here in America. Mm, certainly certainly so what was it that uh stimulated you to make the return to florida well um somewhere later on actually it was covid and the whole lockdown thing that we thought where we were was going to be super like lenient and like easy going but for whatever reason um they became like super strict and tyrannical like they had nightly curfews and the beaches were closed and there was even surfers were being shot at by the cops for like going surfing a couple of times. So at some point we started to get sick of it. They had the borders closed. So we kind of felt trapped, you know, at the time. So I made a decision that as soon as the borders were open again, we were going to try and make the call to go somewhere else. And at the time I was thinking Florida, California, I wasn't sure, but um, we ended up selling with Florida. The reason we chose Florida also, because at this point in time, I was talking to somebody um, after I came out who was working in a company in, in uh, Miami, Florida, and they were building a huge grow with intentions of getting a license from the next round of license that, licenses that Florida was supposed to give out. Because in the beginning, um, when they gave out their original amount, it was only 22. 
and there's all vertical. So it's only large corporations involved in Florida and they didn't get one at that time for whatever reason. So they're waiting on the next batch and Florida kept kicking the can down the road, down the road further and further. And it kept dragging on. So the second they opened the borders in, uh, in Central America, they, we got back here to Florida. Actually, I found a house on Craigslist and it was owner finance, which always worked out good for me. And cause I didn't think I had credit and I didn't have that much money at the time. So we found this place like Craigslist on owner finance um, deal. And, and it was during the lockdown. So I couldn't even actually see it in person. And we had a friend come and check out the place and do an inspection for us. Um, we did a deal that seemed sketchy through a small title company and I thought we were getting robbed at some point, but it all went through and worked out. Um, so the guy in Miami I was talking about, they had the company, they were still waiting on their license, but he, he made it sound like within a year they would have it for sure. And you know, I've been to the, I visited their grow a couple of times from, from where we were living and it had a super you know, like high tech thousand light giant building and they're doing all these big rooms and stuff. And so it seemed for sure they were going to get it. It's just a matter of time. So in my mind, we were coming back to work there. So let's do some sort of a deal with him. Um, and then they're going to grow my genetics and maybe launch my brand there. And that was the plan anyway. So a year went by and uh, they never got the license yet and still haven't gotten it to this day. And at some point in time, actually it was a couple of years gone by since then, but um, I had to sell one of my places down there where we lived in Central America and brought that money back here. And we were kind of living off that for a while and it was starting to run out and these guys still hadn't got a license and things were starting to look like, where are we going to go next? And somebody I had met at one of the Emerald Cuffs uh, years prior, actually the same year, I think you were there, 2019, I want to say. He's uh, one of these guys that's from Miami. He's Dominican and Cuban, and he's part of the whole Washington Heights, New York, A's group. Um, so he's down here in Florida, along with another friend of his, a partner that was Cuban, and we all met at the Emerald Cup, and we talked on social media all the time. Um, they seen that nothing was going on. I was sitting around doing nothing, and one of them hit me up. Uh, this Freedom Town Holdings is the name of their company. And they got a they got a deal with one of the big companies here. Um, I guess the first five are grandfathered in the chance or the opportunity to hire outside help to manage their growth farm. So they got a deal with one of the big companies here to build a grow um, and then run it for them and basically produce the flower for this big company. So they hit me up and they're like, "Hey, I see you're not working for the other guys yet. They haven't got a license yet. You want to come talk with us, maybe?" So that's how that started. So I went and visited their grow and we started conversations back and forth about what we could do and how this might work and uh, back and forth for a few months. And like I said, the money was starting to run out. I was painting as much as I can and trying to live off art. My, my fiance, she teaches yoga. So we were just kind of getting by um, paying our bills and living here in Florida. And then this opportunity came along so since I couldn't legally grow here without worrying about things again, now I have a, you know, I have a record now. So at this point I didn't want to take a chance. So she didn't want me to do it either. So I jumped on the legal game and took these guys up on their offer. And since then we've worked out something where, you know, it's like, uh, I get some royalties from them growing my genetics and they have them all throughout the state. Um, I visit the grow every week and we talk every day, you know, via, you know, cell phone or video phone or whatever it might be. Um, I go there as much as I can. It's a couple hours away from me or I go there every day otherwise. Um, 
but yeah, that's that's how that whole thing started. So I jumped from one company to another. The other company I was originally going to work for, they still haven't got a license. And there's, you know, they got their growth sitting there just kind of like collecting dust now. I guess they're finishing up and they should be getting a license soon. But if I had waited for them, we would have been dead broke and probably back to Latin America by now. <laughs> Huh. Wow, that's an interesting journey you've come along. And do you have any plans for the future? I know you've mentioned the name Origin Select to me. Well, yeah, that's the brand that we got going on here now. Um, so Origin Selects is like a side brand within Freedom Town Holdings. Um, sold at Fluent, which is statewide. They have like 33 locations now. Um, and basically it's, it's a small menu of my personal favorites, including triangle fish. There's a, uh, OG fish on there and a couple of different ones we have. We have a bunch of stuff that we're finding from my siege right now. We did some big seed hunts, um, of like a hundred each. Um, we have a wild G that we have, we're about to pick a couple of, which is a wildlife cross with OG fish. And that came from Josh and his crew. Um, we have uh, Tahiti Lime crossed with a Lemon Royale, which we're calling Tahiti Twist, but then the state made us change it because it sounds too much like a candy. <laughs> so now it's going to be Tahiti uh, Royale. Um, uh, that was what it's something I made down there in Latin America too. Then we have um, a handful of others basically, but they're all pretty much TK or OG related. Um, I'm going to try and work on getting some seeds made with that uh, Colombian gold Panama red that I told you about earlier with those guys, hopefully. Um, it'd be nice to search some of those. Um, and some of the guys at the Freedom Town, they're all on the, the haze thing. So they have a lot of hazes that they grow there. Um, they have like a Mexican lemonade and a cake boss and a few different things that are like haze related to take a little longer to finish. So they're, they're trying to keep the hazes going on in the market here. Um, and at first the OGs, uh, here they didn't really take off super fast and I didn't expect them to because it's more of a California thing. Um, but like once people started to hear the story a little bit more and actually go in and try some of the flour, you know, it's starting to build up a little bit of momentum now and they're selling out a lot faster. The first couple of batches actually were like, I told you about the hurricane earlier, we had some stress from the hurricane and the first couple of batches were plants that got beat up from the hurricanes. And then the building was still not up to par. We were fixing rooms and ACs and chillers were, were not working properly. And, CO2 kept going and you know it's almost like the Millennium Falcon from Star Wars like it worked great but you had to like keep working on it and keep banging things around and fixing stuff that's that's our like our common joke about the building <laughs> that's cool to hear that you know from the the story as well as that you got the the menu curated by yourself and I like that we hear a little bit about some sativas in the mix I don't know if you've actually said it yet do you have a soft spot for sativas at all or are you just more of like an indica dude um, like I said earlier, I like mixing things up. I don't know. It's something I've always done, I guess. I, the more flavors I have in my collection, the better at all given times. Um, so I always have some sort of sativa around. Um, yeah, I definitely have a soft spot for some good sativa. I never like growing it indoors as opposed to smoking it because usually growing them, the good ones indoors are, you know, you're talking 100 plus days. And here in Florida, we didn't really have that option a lot of times because, you know, once things got stinky, it was time to like start worrying about taking things down before your neighbors started learning what was going on. So because of that, we never even let the triangle or the OG, well, not the OG, but the triangle, I never let back in the day go beyond 60 days, I think was the max, 56, 60 days. And it was just because the whole house would start to stink around the property and your gate and your doorway. And at that point you start getting panic, panicky and you start taking things down early, I guess. 
So I never even actually ran it a full length back then. I even had an East Coast Sour Diesel for a while back then too. That was one of the original cuts. And uh, I think we got that around 94, or no, excuse me, 2004. Um, and I ran that one side by side with the triangle a lot. And it came down to 60 days a lot of times too, but it was still mostly white hairs. And for whatever reason, it still tasted banging. And it was, everyone loved it. But I never really got a chance to run that a full like 75 or 80 days. Um, the triangle, um, we've, we've been running in some different rooms here. And we went 80 days on it recently and it didn't like that. Like after 70, it started to get bleaching and start freaking out a bit. Didn't really look that great at the end. Compared to the rooms that come down to like 65, 70. Yeah, I was going to ask you, in fact, you know, I hear a lot of varying answers. I myself, I love OG. Well, like I was just saying, um, now that we could actually run them longer, I, I like 65 to 70. That's my sweet spot, personally. When I, when I was down there in Latin America growing them, um, I was pretty much at 65 days on, on average. Um, like back in the day with the TK, we didn't have, like, this is uh, carbon filters came around. I forget when it was close to like around 2000, I want to say. So anything prior to that was just super odor like stinky problems outside your house so you always had to worry about that especially like those those plants i was talking about earlier the super skunk house plants a lot of people i know actually got busted for growing like a single light of those those genetics back in the day and like a lot of them only got probation because it was small small batches but i would pull up to a couple of friends houses and my car windows open just smell all that stuff like blocks away like holy shit you gotta get that stuff out of here now um so but yeah back then before carbon filters everything came down sooner than it should have obviously it was just because of smell uh, we used to make these big garbage cans um, with pine saw and we would cut a bunch of drill a bunch of holes around the top of the garbage can and put a box fan on top you know and fill the thing up as much as you can halfway with like pine saw and that was our like makeshift smell um cover at the time along with like maybe some ozone machines back then that were super unhealthy to breathe like that i, I just hate hated that stuff like we had them over the doorways of our houses but they didn't really do much but they give you a sore throat um and i think carbon filters came around closer to like 98 99 i want to say or something maybe a little sooner but we weren't getting them in the stores here until later um speaking of carbon filters i never knew they were full of like little tiny charcoal bees inside until I had gotten busted and uh the cops basically had fun in my house with sledgehammers and just destroyed probably like six large carbon filters and they were spread across the entire house these little charcoal like bbs that basically stained everything all the carpets all the tile the walls <laughs> it was a mess it took like a month to clean that house wow that's intense <laughs> So a few questions ago, we were talking about sativas and I definitely wanted to ask you, because I've noticed how talented you are at art, how has cannabis affected your creativity and specifically your art? Do you find specific strains, you know, interact with your ability to create art differently to others? And what's your take on the whole cannabis influencing art? Oh, absolutely. Uh, like as long as I've been enjoying painting, it's always had to be weed involved. So normally I would have my bong and my lighter, or I use Herbire now because I don't like butane from the lighters anymore. Um, and so that was always part of the process, basically. That's, you know, getting super high, whether it's Tiva or Indigo or whatever it would be, that's where my ideas would come from. 
Um, at first, it started off, my painting started off as like a surf breaks around the world. And I was usually just giving them out as, to friends or, uh, you know, like as presents or whatever, to family or on holidays. And over time, like once I got involved with that clothing company I told you about earlier, Crypto Clothing in the 90s, um, that's when I started to put a little bit more effort into creating paintings of like beach scapes and surf spots and putting them on shirts. Um, and that's when it kind of gave me a little bit more of a spark to like start painting for a living and as like a side job kind of thing, um, which I enjoyed. So it, was, it, was, it went hand in hand. And yeah, I was definitely always done when I smoked or when I painted. I mean, um, it was always part of the process for sure. Uh, and since I came out in the last five years, I never painted weed before because I never thought it would really some, be something that would sell or people would be interested in. But once I started painting a couple of cannabis plants here and there, I gave one or two away to the guy that was going to do the Miami farm and get me down there. They're going to probably still have them on their office walls once they get them uh, up and running. But uh, it was later on after that, actually, that I, I think I like given Josh a painting and a couple other people. And next thing you know, I was getting a lot of compliments and started painting more. And then a couple of originals started selling and started getting a little demand for it. So now just, I don't have to paint beach scenes or waves anymore. It's pretty much a mixture of weed. Um, I've been trying to do some like different theme stuff with like Jaws um, and the uh, astronaut holding a plant on the moon and stuff like that. So yeah, everyone's been loving that kind of stuff. And actually because of um, these theme weed projects that actually helped me get my deal here in Florida because those 33 stores that I'm selling my product out of they want to hang art in all the stores um, and put a QR code next to them and link them to my website. So I've been slowly working on getting them to as many stores as I can. I think we're in like four right now, um, but there's going to be more coming. Um, so yeah, that's that's been a good part of the process now. And now that I incorporate a weed to my painting. Wow, that's epic to hear. And I, I highly encourage everyone to check out your website or definitely at least the Instagram there. They're really awesome looking artworks for cannabis. I, I really enjoy it myself. I, uh, I I wrote down, I forgot to ask you earlier, and I want to touch back on it before I forget, you know, way back at the start of the episode, you mentioned you had um, some experience with the Crippy, and I wanted to hear a little more because it's actually one we haven't heard much about, um, even across all the episodes we've done with people. You know, no one's really ever had too much knowledge about it. Did you know anything about it? Yeah, that's a that's almost like a whole episode in itself. But in a nutshell, I can tell you that it was some of the first weed I ever smoked. Like going back to that day I was in school and that guy gave me a ride to the beach with him. And that day I met all those people. Um, he actually had some creepy on him that day. Um, creepy with a K. Um, basically because it was named that because uh, I'd find out from him and other people that the people that were growing it were surfers up here in central Florida. And they were like, one of the guys was a pro surfer. He was probably 20 years older than me. Um, he actually won the pipeline masters surf contest in Hawaii, like in the seventies when like nobody from Florida was winning those things back then. It was strictly all Hawaiians or Australians. So he was the first breakout person from Florida to win a big event like that. He happened to be growing the crippy up here in uh, central Florida and uh, along with his crew. Uh, so that was before my time. I didn't really know those guys that well, but I did know a lot of his crew and younger friends that were, were involved. Like there was a few pro surfers that uh, that guy knew and that I became friends with years later. And a couple of them actually moved to the same country I was living in, in Central America. 
Um, so that whole thing was uh, around from, I'd like to say 86, 87. And then those guys were growing it until around 89, 90, when something happened where they got busted. And that was the last of that original kryptonite, which it went by at the time. And it was based on the kryptonite from the Superman movies. And that's why it's spelled with a K. Uh, and that name came about one day in a van with all those same guys I was just talking about up at Sebastian Hill and one day surfing smoking a joint. And one of the guys named Pat, who was a pro surfer at the time, said, man, this stuff is so strong. It's like kryptonite from the movie Superman. It was like, it would kill, kill Superman, you know? So that was like their phrase. And that's how the name stuck. So uh, that was the same, the first weed I ever seen that was just like absolutely incredible. Um, that that guy that gave me a ride to the beach that day, he had like a bottle on him and on the way to the beach, he was telling me the story about it. And he told me to re- ask me if I smoked first. And of course I was like, yes. And he told me to reach under the, the passenger seat I was sitting in and look for a film can. And I found it and pulled it out. And sure enough, it was loaded with this neon green, this vibrant, sticky, stinky weed that they call it Crippy. Um, so that was like the first generation of Crippy in Florida. Um, Crippy short for kryptonite. And like I said, it's spelled with a K. <laughs> so not many people knew that story about the van and how it was named after the Superman movies, um, unless you knew some of those people, I guess, involved. So after those guys got busted around 90, I want to say, uh, Miami Mango and a couple other people I knew were getting a new batch of Crippy that was getting shipped in. And I guess it just kind of took over the name because the name was so popular and it was just catchy. And at some point that name kind of became like a household term in Florida for weed, I guess, because of that original one was so good. So the next one that started coming in that Mango was talking about and still talks about was shipped in supposedly I've heard stories that came from Seattle area or from Portland, um, somewhere out there in the Northwest. And the reason they say that is because it came in these PVC tubes, uh, wrapped in newspapers from out there. And I guess that's maybe they, somebody said they, they did that to throw people off of where it came from, but it definitely wasn't grown here. That batch, that second, uh, second generation of creepy that was brought in or shipped in from somewhere. Um, and that one was, for some reason, it's just crazy prices. Like people were selling it for 150 a quarter at times. I think I want to say like even Miami Mango is selling her for like $500 an ounce all the time. And doctors and lawyers and whoever had a lot of money at the time were just scooping that shit up. Um, so that was the one that was in the 90s. And then at some point closer to 2000, there was another one that came around could be just be name playing people, you know, using the name again of a popular strain. But then there's one called the Tampa Crippy that a lot of people swear by. And I've seen pictures of that looks a lot like an OG type plant or something, but uh, different, you know, like a little like meteor looking. Um, and I haven't tried that one myself yet. I've got seeds of it to try one of these days soon, but um, I haven't actually tried that, that original uh, Tampa version. So yeah, there's like three different versions of the Crippy. And then I even hear people adding a fourth one to the mix saying there's one that's kind of like hazy. It smells like haze when it's smoked, which I haven't seen anything like that yet. Um, you know, and then of course there's a guy out there in Hawaii that claims his dad and created Crippy and um, later find out it was actually the Crippler that they started calling the Crippy after maybe chasing stories from here in Florida and trying to add something to his story or whatever. I don't know what it was, but <laughs> I don't even talk to that guy anymore. Um, so yeah, that's basically 
that was, uh, and, and then there was also the fact that, like I said, it became a household name. So just like Indo or Greenbud or Kindbud or thing like that, Crippy became like a term that people used for like anything that was good grown indoors. Um, and because of that, like when Alec Anderson first came on to a podcast years ago, um, before hearing my story, uh, him and Matt um, Berger, Bubba, basically told the podcast that they found the OG seed in a bag of Florida Crippy. You know, just using the the term as loose, you know, like household name, like I was talking about, and they didn't really mean it came from an actual strain called the Crippy, but basically that threw people off and. That might have been why that guy in Hawaii actually ran with that story and then started telling everyone that the OG and TK actually came from his dad's crippy and whatever. So, yeah, there's that part of that story. Um, yeah, the first time I ever saw the crippy, like, like I said, I was 15. And um, the last time I've seen it was in the 90s. The real crippy. Yeah, okay. That makes sense because I was going to ask you, a lot of the times you hear Crippy mentioned, it's often in relation to like some relationship to OG. So, I guess the question is, given what you've said, that bud you got that day in the film canister, what was it like? Was it anything like OG? Um, I mean, I was super young then. I just know that it was super fire. I've seen it a few more times after that. I actually grabbed some bags here and there from my neighbor, I want to say. Um my, I think my dad used to get it from him too, possibly, because I used to go to my dad's closet once in a while and I'd find little like ounce bags that I would take a tiny little half gram out of and take it to school with me. And just, everyone has seen it was just blown away. I remember it was just like some of the most neon green you'd ever seen. And it definitely had, it kind of did have actually like a big OG kind of structure, like in the sense that it was like big acorn shaped nuggets, I want to say, but just different. It had way more kick. I think it did too back then. You know, back then I was younger and, you know, you got the thing with nostalgia. And maybe if I seen it now, maybe not as good as it seemed back then to me or whatever. But everybody that I knew back then um, that I still talked to that used to get it swears by that being still some of the best stuff they've ever seen. Even some older guys I know. So one guy actually I knew that uh, lived up here on the beach that I, I used to be friends with and go surf at his house all the time. He bought like a pound of it before they got busted. And he kept that thing for like two years. Like, yeah, I guess he had it buried on his property or something. And he'd pull out like a quarter ounce at a time, or maybe it was frozen. Um, he would pull a quarter ounce at a time. So like for a couple of years after it had gone away, I would see and smoke it at this guy's house up here in uh, the Melbourne beach area. And it was just like, you know, I just remember it being like this big acorn shaped neon green nuggets that like, you, I don't think they had much like hairs or anything to them. It was just kind of like all pod on pod. But real dense looking and it wasn't sealed up it wasn't the kind of stuff that was being shipped in because it was, definitely was grown here um i definitely know for a fact like when those guys got busted growing here some of the people that were involved like left florida because they didn't want to get their family involved with the mess that might have come later one of the guys dad was like a senator here in florida at the time so he went down to central america his couple of his friends went to central america too at the same time i guess everyone kind of scattered um, but that original guy that won the Pipeline Masters, he definitely got busted in distant time. He's actually still in Hawaii, that guy. He uh, goes by Crawford, the last name. Um, his son actually is now a surfer, and he's surfed really well. I think he's almost pro. And um, I just think that he just wants to be left alone. And people try to reach him to talk about all this stuff with him, and he's just kind of to himself. And I actually have mutual friends of his, but I never met him myself. Uh, people I talked to, I've asked if they could like reach out to him one day, and it's just never happened yet. Maybe one day it will. 
Yeah. Hopefully one day. I'm sure everyone would love to hear it. That's interesting to hear all about the Krippi. Um, yeah, very interesting. You mentioned nostalgia in there, and I wanted to ask you this question. A lot of people, I think, look at OG and TK to an extension as well, in in a sense as sort of the last big name before cookies really rolled onto the scene and just started to dominate everything. And some people have the view that, you know, we've really started to bottleneck a lot of genetics, especially in the context of, you know, each strain seems to be in that very dessert menu style sort of um, genetic lineage. My question is, would you agree? Do you feel like we've started to bottleneck? And more specifically, do you think OG and TK were like the last stop before that? Or do you think like that's not necessarily the case? I think a lot of good things have come across or come around since then, I would say. But like as far as the OG or as far as the cookies and gelatos and stuff goes, um, I'm not the biggest fan of most of them, but I've definitely come across some really good crosses like Skittles, um, this YOG I was talking about, which is incorporates wildlife, which is like cherry pie. Um, so those are really good. I've come across, but they're also crossed with OG. So it's not like a direct um, cookie by itself, um, which cookie has OG in it too. So, I mean, that's in there, but I know what you're saying. It's basically, I hear the same thing from a lot of people about the breeding is going too far in that direction. And most of the West coast is just kind of leaning towards the purple gelatos and those kind of genetics lately. And that's what everyone's breeding with. I actually have friends that are on the legal market out there and like, they can't sell anything that's green. Like everything they grow has to be purple or the buyers come and they just like pass it up and they're wanting to buy it. But they basically have to sell something green for like a thousand dollars less a pound type thing. So that's part of it pretty sure because such you know the west coast plays a big part in this whole weed thing and you know they have a lot of hip-hop scene a lot of rap culture uh pretty sure you know burner from cookies and a lot of people have a big part of all that as far as like making these genetics blow up like they did and the rappers all singing about them and you know the sherberts and this that and the other so yeah it's it's hard to say that um um, whether it's it's being bottlenecked in that direction completely. But I mean, I definitely, in the, in the underground scene, there's definitely a lot of people growing some radical sativas and mixing up, you know, skunks and uh, stuff like that. You know, like Tom McCormick selling a bunch of different seeds from like the Northern Lights now and bringing back all those old genetics and uh, skunks. And so there's definitely a lot of hazes getting mixed into the work now. Now that New York's going on, up there they love the hazes. So like my buddy here that... Uh, one of the owners of the company, he's from that scene up there. Like I said, he's got a friend up there named White Boy Kev. And he came out of hiding recently too. And so he's all up in the scene. He's he's one of the the Dominican crew that was selling the PIF and the Black Haze up there for years. So yeah, I mean, that's, I was actually up at an event up there recently and the scene up there is just blowing up. Like everyone up there is buying shitloads of weed. It's probably one of the biggest markets in America right now even though they're fumbling their legal game and legal licensing and all that stuff right now, like the state keeps postponing and everyone's getting fucked. Um, the underground scene out there is crazy. Like we went to PIFCON recently and it was just out of control. Like everyone had tables, like the flea market just selling tons and tons of hazes and all kinds of exotics that um, like an African haze I ran into and a couple like really cool um, plants, you know, that weren't just strictly gelatos or whatever. So it's good to see there's a mix of everything going on right now. And uh, I would say the West Coast market definitely is leaning towards that more than everywhere else, I would say. 
Yeah, it is awesome to see, you know, the resurgence of uh, the haze and to an extent I've seen like, you know, a lot of sour heads given a bit of a push. So, really cool to see things coming around. And I wanted to ask you, do you have any plans to make any seeds? If so, what sort of stuff would you want to do? I have a couple little collabs going on at the moment. I'm still going through seeds that I made myself while stuck on lockdowns. Um but out of that stuff, we found a lot of interesting stuff for my menu here in Florida. Um, I have another project going on that's going to be mostly OGs out west um, at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I'm working on a few things. I'd definitely like to get a little bit more into it and start putting some other genetics together with the OG and TK. Like, for example, I was talking about that Colombian gold Panama red would be a really nice cross, I think, to one of them. Um, so we're working on things like that. I gave my buddy, uh, some TK back cross seeds that I had worked on a couple of times. So it's like actually BX2 now. So he's going to try and find a couple now, now on there that we can maybe use. And, uh, so yeah, there's a few projects going on. Yeah, that's cool. And I guess, you know, as a bit of an extension, who are some breeders whose work you admire or enjoy? Um, personally, I have gone through a nice collection of Swamp Boys gear, uh, archive seeds. So when I was living down there in, in uh, Central America, um, before I created Origins, um, I had reached out to Crone after hearing stories about those guys being related to the Triangle. And at some point I realized that the guy we got our cut from was associated with them or partners with them or worked with them or something. They were just close friends, I guess. So we hit it off at first and um, just before Origins was around, they sent me a nice care package down there. Um, and out of those, I found the Lemon Royale to be my favorite. I found a real nice female and I found a male and I made a bunch of seeds with that male. A couple other males I had down there, like a Donkey Dog OG. And uh, actually Matt Wright gave me a banana tie, which I found a nice male from. I had a platinum sherb and a couple other males that I collected pollen and just little like projects here and there, piece of paintbrush projects. And I actually did a, a couple closets that I set up a male, the lemon royale in and a male of the donkey dog. So all the seeds I made down there were small projects, but made a lot more than I expected to. Actually, some of the stuff was archives work too. I had a, his uh, Pure Loco and his uh, Tahiti Lime which I found a real nice one. I had a black triangle from Bodie. I had a love triangle also from Bodie. Um, that was actually one of my favorites down there. Um, had like a kind of a cherry Play-Doh kind of aftertaste smell. Um, so yeah, out of those seeds at this legal spot now, we've been doing like 50 to 100 at a time. And out of those batches, we've been finding some real nice stuff. Um, the lemon rally I had down there had a real tangy lemon tree, but like gas kind of mix going on and it made good sized plants. That was, that was my keeper. And I made a bunch of seeds with that one. Um, hit it to the triangle back cross. I hit, uh, I hit the original TK, the original G with the mail I had of it. So it's just little batches from those. We've been finding stuff in, um, we recently went through 60 YOG that Josh gave me that were super nice. We ended up keeping like eight that we got to narrow down still to two. Um, the Tahiti lime I crossed to the lemon royale. We found one that was real similar in chirps to the original uh, lemon royale I had down there. 
so yeah, I've been working with those guys things for the last few years. Um, archive definitely made some nice stuff. I like all his Moonbow gear. I like all the face-off crosses. Um, other than that, I've had I have this plant someone gave me here called the Platinum TK, um, which was in-house seeds Platinum Kush. I think it was Kush mints crossed to a Bully Kush. Um, the, the guy I selected and said had a very TK-like trait. Bully Kush was from Sea Junkie, and that was a triangle to triangle back cross. I think it was BX. So yeah, just kind of like trying to stay within that frame, but find different stuff. Um, trying to like keep it to where it's TK or OG related for you know for my menu. Um, but yeah, like right now I'm working on a project out west with some guys that are probably going to be the '92 OG and the Ghost OG. And the TK, and then they're going to be hitting it with some of their stuff soon. So uh, maybe doing some work reversal projects as well, hopefully. That's cool to hear. And you've got me thinking, I wanted to ask you, like, as a company that's offering, like, primarily OGs in today's market, do you find there is still the demand there? Or do you feel like people want that, you know, purple gas candy thing? Well, what we do is uh, we only do like small batches at a time. That way they don't sit around too long on shelves. So we do like probably 10 lights, for example, and that will feed 30 plus stores. Um, so by the time the next batch comes out, that one's sold out. And so I have, I'm going to probably have one genetic in all of the rooms. So it'll be like 11 different ones going at all times. I'm going to have a sour diesel, uh, a couple of OGs, the TK, and then I have like a lemon cross i have uh the tahiti lime and a couple other tangy ones i have the cheddar koi which is uh from my friend in hawaii and some seeds and um, that one's super different too that was like a big island koi cross to mob i think it was from karma genetics which was like a cheese um crossed and i think what else was in that one i think there might have been like a hell's angel og and cheese cross to that big island so yeah, there's some different stuff. Um, and then we have, we're working on, like I said, getting some sort of more like sativa leaning thing on my menu as well soon. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to mix it up. As far as the OG and the TK, at first, the first couple of batches that went out, the market wasn't really ready for it yet. And it kind of sat for like a month, month and a half even. And when I first went out, we had, we had some packaging issues where the packaging room humidity sensors were off and like some of the stuff was going out good some of it was going out a little bit moist so we had to correct all those issues and and basically almost had to do like a relaunch to get it out there again and, and once we fixed that things have been really good and things have been selling out every time and everyone's been really happy with everything and a lot of people here in florida like our market's 10 years behind the west coast you know because just because of the way things have always been so people here aren't as educated and the majority of the people here that are in the market have a med card which the market here is completely monopolized and like it's all you know it's in favor of these big companies and until that changes we can't have any home grow and um there's actually trying to go recreational next year sponsored by one of the biggest companies here now but they haven't had home grow added yet which no one's really happy about um we'll see what happens with that but um yeah i think when the when the market kind of like comes to uh, it gets a little bit like, closer to recreational and people's, you know, like right now you have to go to a doctor and 
twice a year and it costs like 150 or 200 hours a year i think it is to keep your med card going and then there's the whole thing with the guns here where a lot of people are just don't want to have a med card because they can't have a legal gun so yeah a lot of things got to change first um before out here like basically people are just not educated like i said it's like in california so they're slowly getting there <clears throat> you know we're catching up fast but at the same time we're, we're still way behind um so it'd be nice to see um, if, if it went recreational, then obviously it's going to open up for everybody more. Hopefully they're going to get out more licenses and maybe they'll even let people have smaller mom and pop businesses eventually. But as of right now, it's just these huge juggernaut companies that are running things. And uh, I don't know if it's the governor here, or just politics in general, you know, big pharma, whatever is really behind it the most. But it's stayed that way since we've been back here. And we were hoping it would change by now a little more, but it still hasn't. Yeah, certainly. I think we can only hope, uh, you know, cannabis laws worldwide relax for uh, for everyone's benefit. I can appreciate your uh, frustration with that for sure. I've got a I've got a bit of a left of field one for you, but I wanted to ask you because I think you might have an interesting answer. What do you think the genetics might be of TK and OG if you didn't know yourself about, you know, the Emerald Triangle and the Hindu Kush? And maybe maybe a better way to phrase it is, what would you pitch as an alternative genetic combination that could make the TK or the OG? I would definitely jump into the category of Northern Lights along those lines because, you know, like I said, the, the plant, the, the Emerald Triangle came from out there where the Northern Lights came from. Um and then also in the last several years, there's been a lot of information coming out from Neville and other people talking about uh, the modern day Kush lines are very much like the NL2. And then on top of that, like going back to the late 90s again, uh, Miami Mango used to get this cut of the Northern Lights too. I don't know if it was from somebody brought back seeds from Amsterdam or if it was an actual cut brought from out west somewhere or what, but it was some of the definitely some of the best Northern Lights I've ever seen. And he just called it NL2, but it definitely had a very uh, popcorn kind of like TK structure to it, but then left a really like nice aftertaste after you smoked it. And it like kind of linger on your palate for a while type thing. And uh, it was one of my favorites for personal. And I didn't, I never grew it, but Mango would get a pound of it here and there. And he would always call me up and I'd come and grab an ounce once in a while. Um, we didn't hang out a whole lot back then, but we, you know, we communicated through mutual friends. And um, like, like I said, there was definitely a handful of times I grabbed that off of him. That was one of my favorites that was coming around. And, you know, it definitely had shape um, that I remember of like these big chunky acorn popcorn nuggets, you know, a little bit more dense maybe um, than some of the stuff going around back then. So that was good, good call. It was probably NL for sure involved, whether it was what numbers or whatever, you know, like I said, Neville even, claims that all the modern day cushions were basically from his NL lines or that he was breeding with out there at the time. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good answer. I can understand where you're coming from there. So I got one last one before we do the final five questions. And I wanted to know, what sort of plants in general do you think cross well with TK and OG? Well... Me personally, I haven't had a whole lot of experience breeding. Um, you know, most of the stuff that I've come across has been accidental. Um, those little projects I did on lockdown are pretty much my only experience with breeding. Um, I've, I've learned a few tips and tricks here and there from, you know, actually from like Matt Wright when we first met, was talking about reversals and teaching me stuff about that. Um, a few other people along the way here and there have given me some tricks and, and some tips, but 
I haven't really had a whole lot of like hands-on experience breeding yet. I'm looking forward to it. And I had all kinds of things in my mind, how I like to do things, but just haven't had the space um, really to do it yet. And uh, this legal spot we're at, we, we've had conversations about setting up uh, a room just for strictly for breeding, but it just hasn't come to fruition yet. Hopefully that happens soon. Yeah, hopefully that happens. All right, well, let's get into the final five. So the first one is, what's the single most memorable or impactful cannabis experience you've had? doesn't have to be the most potent weed, but just what's left the greatest impression. Well, it would probably have to be some of those first ones, like like the stuff we were just talking about, the kryptonite, I would imagine. Um, that was just something magic about that stuff that, you know, it was, it was the best of the best that we've seen back at that time. Um, so that's definitely comes to mind. Um, that Hawaiian, um, skunk I was talking about earlier that we would pitch in on as kids. That was one of them. Uh, I really enjoyed having the juicy fruit for years. Um, which is what this, this Colombian and Panama kind of reminds me of. Like I said, uh, that was another good one. Um, obviously the triangle, when we first started growing that, uh, it wasn't really for, for selling and it was more or less for growing it for ourselves because it was making these skinny little plants at first until we figured you had to top it and get it pretty big before you top turned it um so that was kind of like an aha moment when we figured that out and started like being able to put pounds out of that for people um yeah and obviously like when i learned all this stuff related to the og kush in my story that was an aha moment too <laughs> definitely and it's still still uh still going yeah, that's a good answer. I like that. I like that. So, on the other end of the spectrum, what's a strain where everyone you knew was hyping it up, you were getting really excited to try it, you finally try it, and you're a bit disappointed? Um, well, there's a lot I still haven't seen that I'd like to see. Like, I've never actually grown the chems yet. I've had flower form of almost all of them. Um, I've had the 91 and yeah, I did kind of have resembled some gassy notes to it for sure. My friend in Hawaii sent me some small amounts. Um, then I also had somebody send me some chem D, which I was expecting to be like the all time best ever. And I don't know if it was the real cut or not, but to me, it just didn't, didn't remind me of any sort of OG or TK like everybody was saying it did. Um, it was, you know, more on that funky, almost like GMO-ish, uh, bad breath kind of funk and onions and mushrooms smell, I remember. Um, so I wasn't a huge fan of that. It looked really nice, um, but I was expecting it to be just way different as far as, I mean, it was definitely stony, I remember. Um, I don't know, like I said, whether if it was the original cut or not. I heard there's multiple cuts out there, just like TK and all, all, all of them basically had some imposters going around. <laughs> yeah, certainly I could appreciate that for sure. So, next situation, right? I'm going to drop you off on a desert island and you only get to take three strains with you for the rest of time. It can be a clone or it could be like a pack of seeds. What three things are you going to take? Well, just based on this old memory I've had recently of the Juicy Fruit, that one comes to mind. Definitely the TKA. And probably one of the sour diesels. Maybe even like the East Coast sour diesel that I had. Now, I know like since then there's there's all this information about different cuts of the East Coast sour diesel. I don't know which one I had, honestly. We got it from a friend of ours here in Florida, traded a TK cut for it, and that was around 2003 or four. Um, and that was one of my favorites for sure. Um, 
No, wait, let me take all those back. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> the TK, the Juicy Fruit, and that hash plant number four that I had back in the day. That would be the top choice right there. Beautiful stuff, beautiful stuff. Okay, so on to the final one. I've got a time machine for you. Oh, no, no, sorry, sorry. I've skipped. I've skipped ahead. I've got too excited. Let's go back. All right, so in this one, you've lost your entire genetic library right you got nothing all you can do is have one pack of seeds can be something you've got now or just you know something that is available what would you restart your genetic collection with just one pack of seeds oh that's a tough one um hmm. one pack of seeds well it's not going to be a pure anything obviously (laughs) um if I can get a hold of some of those super skunk half plant seeds again that we had in our collection, that would be the all time greatest. Because like I said, if you pop 10 of those seeds back in the day, you're going to get eight. They're almost worthy of keeping definitely five for sure. That were like, Holy shit. And they all had like different like variations and smells and whatever, but they're all extremely stinky. So yeah, I'd have to go with that super skunk hash plant. <laughs> I think we may have some overlap then. So now on to our real final question, which is that I've got a time machine for you. You can go back to any place, any period, presumably to get some seeds or a clone. Where are you going to go? What are you going to get? Probably to Mr. Crawford to get a cut of the kryptonite, the creepy, the real creepy from the 1980s. Wow, beautiful. I love it. Dedicated. It must hold a true spot in your heart. So... I think with that, we're just about at the end of it. Did you have any comments or shout-outs you wanted to make? Uh, Shout-out to Craig, a um, good friend of mine. We, you know, like, he's part of the story. We've grown up together. We've traveled around the world together. He goes by Captain Perks on Instagram, if anyone doesn't know that already. Um, Shout-out to Josh, Josh D and Kenji and that crew out there. And They're super good people. I love talking to them and hanging out with them. Um, and then the crew that I'm working with here now, Freedom Town Holdings, there's Joey the Hard Way on Instagram, and uh, Freedom Town Holdings Instagram is actually Manny, who's one of the guys that owner there too. And then there's a Blockwork Grower, who's the head grower there, he's a lot younger, but really, really well knowledge, and uh, he's had a lot of experience for his age. And he's ex military, so he's super like by the book and strict about everything. We talk to each other all the time about what's going on with the grow. So shout out to all those guys for sure. Um, shout out to my wife or fiance, I should say. We haven't got married yet, but soon we are about to open up a yoga studio together. It's going to be a, a uh, art gallery for my art, and she's going to have her yoga studio at the same time. So we've been looking forward to doing that for a while. Um, yeah, that's what comes to mind at the moment as far as shout outs go. <laughs> Well, fantastic. A, a huge, huge, huge thank you again to the old school weed head surfer, accidental creator of the TK. We're also incredibly grateful. A big thank you to Marty of TK Origins for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Definitely. I've been enjoying some of your shows in the last few years. And, uh, you know, like I said, you hit me up probably five years ago and I promised you I would do this with you one day and I haven't been anywhere else on any podcast yet. So I figured when it came time that I would hit you up and do you two years first oh look i'm really really grateful it's been really fun chatting to you i'm really appreciative for all the history you've shared no worries i know it jumped all around different uh times and years and dates and a lot of stuff probably left out so maybe we could do a second one down the road 
Yeah, it'd be fun. It'd be fun. Big shout out again. Thanks for your time. And no worries. Cheers, mate. So there you have it, friends. What did you think? Huge, huge, huge thank you to Marty again for taking the time to come on the show. And a massive shout out to you guys for getting to the end. We appreciate you so much. Just like we appreciate our incredible sponsors. If you want to help support the show, support our sponsors. Seeds here now, number one seed bank in the industry. You know them, you love them. All the best breeders, the hottest drops, guarantee on satisfaction, not just germination. Why delay, guys? I promise you will be stoked if you get some seeds from them. They only stock the best in the game. Likewise, a massive shout out to our friends at Pulse Sensors, all the best and latest sensors in the game, including their new Pulse Hub, which integrates all of their units together to ensure that your operation is on point, producing bigger yields, better terps, higher potency. Whether you're running a single tent, a single room, or a multi-state operation, Pulse are here to help you guys. Get serious, get a Pulse. Further shout out to Copa, the number one leaders in sustainable biocontrol solutions for pests and disease. If you're battling spider mites, please check out the Spidex Vital sachets. I can't tell you how annoying it is to have to spread carrier material in your garden just to get the predators out. These new sachets circumvent that. Just hang the sachets in your crop, let the person millers walk out, do the work for you. Trust me guys, you won't look back. You give it one go, you will see the quality, you will be converted. A massive shout out to Copit. We appreciate your support so much. These guys are industry leaders. Check them out. Huge shout out to our friends at Organics Alive, number one for powdered organic fertilizers. If you're thinking about giving organics a go, get on board. Their products make it so easy. Whether you're in veg, transition, or bloom, they've got products that make it easy to dip your toes in the water. Likewise, if you're a seasoned veteran of organics, I promise their products will help take your next crop to a whole new level. Massive shout out to Organics Alive. They have some of the best products on the market. Really fast release because they're small particle size. You will not go wrong with Organics Alive. Hit them up. Massive shout out and thank you. Finally, a big shout out to our friends at Dynavap. Just a week or two ago, they came out with some new models. The Titanium M series in two different colors. You can get yourself the Nebulum or the Quantium. I've been rocking the Nebulum. I love it, guys. Please give it a go. If you've ever tried a vape and felt like it didn't hit the way you were looking for it, these ones will. Truly a game changer. Based out of the US, owned in the US. Dynavap, truly one of the best vape companies on the market. I really, really love their products and we are super appreciative of their support. Massive shout out to Dynavap. Last but not least, massive shout out to the Patreon gang. Thank you so much for your support. If you want to help ensure the show continues to happen, please consider checking out patreon.com forward slash the podcast. You will get early access to upcoming episodes, unheard exclusive interviews, and you go in the running to win a whole range of swag each month. We give away genetics, cannabis artwork, a whole range of awesome products, all while ensuring the show continues to happen. Again, a massive shout out to the Patreon gang. We love you so, so, so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And that's about it for this one, my friends. I will catch you for the next one. Thanks so much for hanging out. Heavy days. Signing off from the Upside Down Library. We'll see you.